Good evening. Uh, we're continuing the Talmud series today. And uh, if you remember last week, we spoke about the world to come of the righteous people, how everyone has his own level. And everyone is going to be jealous with the level that is only a little bit above him. Also, we spoke about the woman who were telling her, uh, her daughter that all, her ch all the children is not from her father except one. We spoke, in, uh, we spoke about the tree that is planted in a private property and goes into the public. That's basically what we spoke about. Today, we're speaking about, uh, we're still in Masechet Baba Batra, and uh, the Gemara says, who is the mother of Avraham Avinu? The mother of Abraham, her name is Amtelai Bat Karnevo. You, you don't read about her name in a written Torah, but you know about it from the oral Torah. So you should know that if ever you have a problem or the police pull you over, if you have enough time to say her name 17 times, Amtelai Kabat Karnevo, it will save you from your problem. Supposed to. That's a good insurance. Amtelai Bat Karnevo. Who is the mother of Haman? Haman, Haman Atzadik. Haman, you know which Haman, yeah? So Haman, Arasha, his name is, his mother's name is also Amtelai. Bat Orveta. So remember, Karnevo, Karnevo is the mother-in-law of Avraham Avinu, right? Amtalai, the order of Karnevo. Haman is a uh, uh, wife who gave him bad advice. His, her name is Amtelai. No, the mother, not his wife. His mother, his name is Amtelai Bat Orvata. Orveta. Who is the mother of King David? David Benishai. Who is his mother? Notzvat Bat Adael. Nun Tzadik Betaf. Nun Tzadik Betaf. Notzvat Bat Adael. You don't, to the best of my knowledge, you don't have anybody in the world with his name. I don't know why. It should be a good name. Notzvat Bat Adael Shema. What's the name of the mother of Shimshon? Samson, the prophet. Samson and Delilah. What? Tzlalfonit. Also, you don't hear this name. Tzlalfonit. That's the wife of Manoach. Tzlalfonit and Manoach. She saw an angel, this woman, Tzlalfonit. An angel came to tell her, you'll be pregnant. How did she know that is an angel? He looked like a man. She, she told the... Uh, she told her husband, uh, the man of God came here. A man of God, how did she know? The Gemara asked, how did she know? So the answer is, from what the Gemara asked, how did she know is a holy man? From here we see that the beer doesn't make you holy. You got the point? Because if the beard automatically showed that you're a holy man, why the Gemara asked, how did she know? He had a very beautiful white uh, beard. 
very nice, long, impressive beard, and a big yamaka, you know, like the Kabbalist. So she knew it's a holy man. But so you see that the Gemara didn't care about the outside look. The Gemara said, how did she know it's a holy man? From the question, the Gemara knows that the outside doesn't indicate who the inside is, what the inside is. Then Gemara continue, Amar Abichia Bar Yosef. There's something in the Gemara called Hamra. Hamra could be two things. Hamra could be Hamor, a donkey. And Hamra can be wine. So you have to see the subject, and based on that, you know if they talk about a donkey or wine. Uh, the Gemara says, it's actually come from Havakuk. Havakuk is one of the Nevi'im, the prophets. Chapter 2. Ve'avki ayayin boged, gever yair lo inve. We know the wine has a habit, a habit of betraying the person. When he drinks, he doesn't feel that's going to knock me out, this wine. Especially those sweet wines, 7% alcohol, 9% alcohol. It, it tastes like grape juice. You drink one or two glasses, oh, it knocks you out. Before you realize, you're out. Gever Yair velo inve. Yair means a proud person. It's a, it's a show off. You know how the show off? L'chaim, b'smoy shmo. The more you drink, the more macho you are. In foolish environments. In high class environment, high class means spiritual high class. Not high class like what the people think. In a high class spiritual, did you ever see that someone trying to impress in friends by drinking alcohol? Uh, what kind of, uh, that's the, not, not only it doesn't impress anyone, it actually makes them feel the opposite. But the interesting thing about the wine is, the nation of Israel is equal to a wine. It's like a parable. It's similar to a wine. One reason the wine seeds of the grape you cannot mix with any other fruit. It doesn't accept mixing. That's one reason. So the nation of Israel cannot mix with any other nation. One other reason is that the nation of Israel has the same fortune like the grape juice, like the grapefruit, like the grape tree. What is it? The grape tree, when you take out the grapes from the tree and you step on it with your legs, right? So you're basically depressing the, the, the grapes, you're stepping on it, and in the end, the grapes step on you. So the nation of Israel, the whole world, the Gentiles, all these empires running after them, depressing them, torturing them. Thank you. Stepping on their head. And what happened in the end? All of them are gone. And the nation of Israel is above everyone, always. You understand the difference? I mean, actually, the similarity. So this is uh, what's similar between the nation of Israel to to the grape. Also, also, how does a grape, how does a grape uh, uh, tree grows? It doesn't have a branch, a thick branch, like the tree is growing and then you have branches and, uh, you know, it's very soft. It looks like a weed, like bush. It needs to climb on something, a fence, or you put pieces of, uh, you put pieces of wood in the ground and then it climbs on the wood. Huh? Vine. Vine? Grapevine. Grapevine. 
But they usually climb on pieces of wood. Okay. So the nation of Israel is very similar. Why? We climb on the back of our fathers. You understand? Without them, we have no existence. Can't say. So this is dead wood. Live wood, live tree, climb on a dead tree. This is pieces of wood. It's dead, right? Once you cut the tree, you make wood out of it. You stick dead pieces, and the live pieces can climb only on the back of the dead. So the entire uh, Judaism is depend on our great-great-fathers who left us this inheritance, all these great books, with all the knowledge. They make sure to transfer it to us, as Hashem said. You must keep transferring it to the generations to come. So this is the similarity. There's other things, but this is the point. Now the Gemara say, a man that is proud is a Mr. Show-off. But being a proud person is not only being show-off with your clothing and your look and, and, your and, and your wisdom, no. Being a proud person has other, other, other symptoms. What is it? He doesn't have patience for everyone. Any person doesn't have patience because he looks down at everyone. Angry, don't, don't have patience, disrespecting people. This is, all comes from being a proud person. Person that is proud, nobody can stand him, even the people of his own family. Why? Because all he cares is about a show off for himself, like to be like a king. So even his people cannot stand him, his wife, his children. So uh, that's the secret of this pasuk in Chavakuk. Gever yahir velo inve. When a person is yahir, yahir means proud, lo inve comes from the word neve. A lot of the yeshivot for girls is called neve. Neve Yerushalayim, neve, neve. What's neve in Hebrew? House. Like Neve House, I mean Tiferet Yerushalayim, Neve Yerushalayim, so Jerusalem House. That's the name of the yeshiva for girls in Yerushalayim. Many of the girls go there to learn. Seminary. Neve means a house, a place of, of living. So if a person is proud, even the people of his own house, but Neve Shelo, the Gemara say, cannot stand him. Nevertheless, needless to say, in, in other places, Someone who pretends that he's a Talmud Chacham, he pretends that he's a rabbi, he pretends that he knows Torah, but he doesn't know anything, it's all, it's all lying and getting and stealing from others and pretending it's his, and, uh, you know, and uh, put all kinds of ads in the newspaper, Rav Gadol, the genius rabbi is coming to town if you want to get an appointment with him. And he has friends in the newspaper, so they constantly advertise his name all the time, like he's an important person. And he's not like that. So he's, he's putting a show. This show can, can, can work in this world, because in this world, there are people who demand that you deceive them. Some people, they just demand it. Even if you don't want to do it, they force you to deceive them with their stupidity, you know, by running after fake babot. We spoke about these things in the past. All this baba, that baba, why? You know, his grandfather was a tzaddik, he has a nice beard, you know, whatever. They find a reason. My uncle went there and he gave him a blessing and it helped. Stories, a lot of stories, and they build them up. They build themselves some kind of reputation. 
So the Gemara says, yeah, over here you fooled people, but over there, they won't let you enter where Hashem is, which means there's no, they're not going to go to heaven. Why? Because they put a show and they, were not, they don't deserve it. They took a title to themselves that they don't deserve it. Amar Rabbi Elazar, Le'olam idvak adam betovim. A person always have to make sure to stick to the good ones. Why? Sha'are Moshe shenasa batitro, yatsa mimeno, yonatan. You know, Aaron shenasa bataminadav, yatsa mimeno pinchas. Bottom line is, when you go to get married, make sure you find the right person to marry to, men or women. Why? We find in the Torah that people who are not as great, when they married somebody great, they had the merit to have somebody great came out of them. Like the daughter of Itro. Who is she? She's a Tzipora. Until a few months ago, she was a Goya. Her father was the Pope, the Pope of the generation. Imagine now the daughter of the Pope in the Vatican. She becomes religious. Two months later, she married the biggest rabbi in the world. Everyone would be surprised. What's going on here? There's a person who speaks to God. He married the daughter of the Pope. What happened? But this Pope made a 100% tshuva. And Hashem put an extra chapter in the Torah. Not extra chapter. He named extra part of the Torah after him, Itro. Torah is the same Torah. But they took a part of the Torah and dedicated to him, Itro, Parashat Itro, a chapter of Jetro. Couldn't find a better name for it? No. See, he, was a, he's a key, he's a key, he has a key role in the Torah. He gives advice to Moshe. Moshe takes, takes his advice. Moshe serves him. All of a sudden, he became a big shot. A minute ago, he was the most despicable idol worshiper in the world. And a month later, he's the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu. And it's amazing, the power of tshuva. So... Uh, the Gemara continues, the Gemara says, Aaron married Elisheva Bat Aminadav. The, the sister of Nachshon, Nachshon ben Aminadav, had a sister. Nachshon is the one who went into the water. When the nation of Israel came out, they started to cry and complain, and he went into the water and said, if Hashem say, takes us out of Egypt, I trust Hashem. The water reached his nose, and then the ocean split. So he was a very important person. Thanks to him, everyone got saved. So what happened here now? He has a daughter, and his daughter, Mary Aaron Cohen, the brother of Moshe Rabbeinu, also speaks to Hashem, you know? It's not, so they say, Achot Nachshon, the sister of Nachshon. We already know she's the daughter of Aminadav. What do we need to say? The sister of Nachshon. Why, why? The answer is, we, we, from here we see that a person who wants to marry a woman has to check her brothers if they are good or not. If you see she comes from a family that the brothers learning, they're righteous people, they learn Torah, they're religious, they're very nice from brothers, then there's a good chance that she already learned from the best. She's a, all her family around her, her father, the brothers, everyone tzaddikim. Oh, that's a good wife. But if one of her brothers selling a gold in 47th Street doesn't even have to know how to write his name in English. The other one selling vegetable in the market, when he bends down, all his pens go down. 
you know, he picks up uh, melons. He doesn't, uh, if you give him the bracha, the gemara, you tell him which side is Rashi, which side is Tosfot. You're talking to me Chinese. Give me some vodka, leave me alone. What is this? If this is the brother she has, that's what she is. But the good news is that every rule has an exception to the rule. I've seen girls that come from a complete ignorant family. They were very good. And the brother are big losers. But she was very good. So that's not a rule from the Ten Commandments. Make no mistake here. This is an advice. You have to know. When the Chachamim, the Rabbi, the sages give us an advice to open our eyes to pay attention, or when it's a guarantee rule from the Aseret Adibrot, from the Ten Commandments. If you ever find a good girl, righteous, modest, like to read Teilim, like to learn, good wife, whatever, and her brothers are total losers, don't give up the girl just because of this. No, she's good, take her. But check, check, before check. Huh? Yeah, yeah, that's a good example. So, uh, yeah, why? Because most of the boys are similar to the brothers of the mother. Most, which we should know, Rov Banim Domim Leacheyahem. If your mother is, the mother that have some boys, usually the boys behave like the uncles. They have the traits of the uncles. But again, this is all usually, and this is 2,000 years ago. The world changed today, the nature changed, the nature of the people changed. It's different. We cannot come from here and say, oh, you know what? I'm not marry her because she has one brother that is not religious anymore. Not true. She doesn't have to pay that she has a wicked brother, okay? So now, Rabbi Pinchas ben Chama say, Kol sheyesh lo chole betoch beto, someone who is a sick person in his house, yelech etzel chacham veyvakesh alav rachamim, would run to the rabbi to pray for him and ask for mercy. You understand? What does it mean? What does it mean? Be... Technically, today, when you ask, uh, I have somebody sick in my house, God forbid. What do they tell you? Take him quickly to the emergency room. Take him to the doctor. Take him to x-ray. Take him to MRI. Do this, do that. It's also fine. You have to go to the doctor. But who do you go first to? First to the doctor, and then a week later, he called the rabbi. Rabbi, we tried everything with the doctor. It didn't help. Maybe you give a bracha. Maybe you pray for my boy. Maybe you get saved. That's the wrong way. First thing, Rabbi, we have a problem. Please pray for us. If you can take the boy or the girl, whatever it is, to the Rabbi, that's what you do first. But to a real good Rabbi, not somebody that is Rabbi because of the newspaper or because he has a lot of money and he opened himself a building and made himself the Rabbi of the place. This every one of you can do without even knowing how to read. I've seen Rabbi that don't know how to read Hebrew. Right here, around here. They don't know how to read, but they call themselves rabbi. So fine. They want to make themselves rabbi. They have audience. What can you do? That's what you get. But the idea is somebody who really learns, someone who really connects to the Torah. When you open his mouth, you see this wisdom. You see, you understand. You ask questions about halacha. He always know the answer, or 99% of the time, nobody is an angel. That's, that's, that's a good figure. You know? Anyway, what we're saying here is, first to go to him and then run to the doctors. Where 
וגמרא says, where do we learn it? From King Solomon, מישלי, מישלי סיקסטין, תז, what is it? חמת מלך מלאכי מוות, when the king is angry, the angel of death goes into action, ואיש חכם יחפרנה, and a high scholar, תלמיד חכם, what we call a rabbi today, יחפרנה, can repent it. Can, verse, can reverse the decree. This is a clear verse. Hashem is angry at someone. Angel of death is on the way. Hashem irachem to do something to this family. You went to the Chacham. The Chacham can reverse. Say, angel of death, go back to where you came from. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't let the angel of death take his soul out. Soul is going around trying to take. Moshe said, no. So Hashem send me, what do you want? I'm only doing my job. Say, so, no, I won't let you. It goes back and forth. It came back by Hashem, doesn't let me take. What do you mean? You an angel, you need permission from people to take their soul out? Since when? Someone in a level of Moshe. <laughs> Moshe didn't let him take the soul. And in the end, who won? Moshe won. He didn't take his soul out. Moshe refused to look at the power of Moshe. You ever hear about something like this? Angel of death that killed billions of people until today, one person he couldn't kill. Who is he? <laughs> there was one more person, who knows who? One more person who overcame the angel of death and tricked him, and he went to Hashem to complain, and the rabbi won the argument. Who? Good, no? Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi. Not only he went, he got himself into heaven, he also took the sword of the angel of death. And the angel of death said, put me out of commission, this guy. <laughs> Not only I couldn't kill him, I lost my sword. Can't do my job. Why? Because he swore that he doesn't come out of his place where he was. So Hashem said, go check if he ever reversed one of his promises in his life. If he said something in his life and he didn't keep it, which means he made atarat nedarim, he canceled his vow, then take him out of heaven. But if he never reversed his word, whatever he said, he always kept all his promises, all his declarations, everything was true and always he kept it, there's nothing you can do. He made now a vow that he doesn't come out of heaven, you must respect his vow. So they went and checked his entire life. They review his entire life. He never, ever said something that he didn't keep. So there's nothing you can do. So what are we going to do with a sword? Ask him to return the sword. This is the way of, of the world. He needs the sword back. It's a spiritual sword. Sword that has a drop in the edge of it. If a person is righteous, right? When he pulls his soul out, he doesn't feel pain. If not, he feel suffering a lot when the soul comes out. Also, that drop, when he puts it in the mouth, it makes the body of the dead person smell. By the way, after a few hours, the body begins to smell. And this is because of this drop. This drop makes the entire body starting to become rotten. Then the Gemara says, Amar Rav Chizda, Niset Pchutam Esrim Yoledet Ad Shishim. A woman has to do everything she can to get married before age 20. And 
she gives birth up to 60. You know, sometimes you hear on the news, wow, woman, 55, 53, gave birth, had twins, everyone's surprised. Uh, according to the Gemara, it's up to 60 is natural. Above 60 is a miracle, yes. Sarah Imenu, 90 years old, you know? The, uh, the idea is that the way of nature, now remember, everything I ever say in the name of the Talmud about nature is subject to a change in our generation. Why? Because the nature changed. I once made a whole lecture about giving examples of things that used to be very common in their days. Nobody in the world can do it today. But it was every other person was able to do it. For instance, the Gemara asks, you know, a shepherd for every ten sheep that is born to, you know, to, by, by, by whatever he owns, every ten sheep has to go to Bet HaMikdash, donation to Bet HaMikdash. Nine, the tenth one, he marks it and he gives it to Bet HaMikdash. Now, what happened, but what happened if he doesn't have a large group of sheep? He doesn't have a large group of sheep, which means uh, which means he has five here, four there, three there. All together, it's 200, but they're not together. Can you join all of them together to know how much to give, or each group, it's a separate issue? Over here, I have 11, okay, so I take one of them. Over here, I have 27, so I take two, because I didn't reach 30. Over here, I have three, I don't take nothing. Over here, five, nothing. How does it work? So the answer is mitztarfim, they join together in one condition, that you are able to see them at the same time, which means you have a group over there and a group over there. If they are so far from each other, so far, you cannot see, you can either see this group or this group, but not both of them, they are not joined together. But if you can see, they join together, the shepherd. It's somewhere in the desert, in a field. So the Gemara asks, how far it's considered that you can see? How far? Give us a range. So I once calculated 18 kilometers, like 12 miles, all the way from uptown Manhattan to downtown Manhattan, the shepherd is able to see the sheep. You know one person in the world that can see that far without a telescope? Show me one person that can see more than three, four blocks, five blocks. See, that's, the vision of the people was much better than 2020 today. It was much better. All kinds of things, you see. Or, Gemara brings a story about one old rabbi that uh, he has two young students carrying him around. They're holding his hand, everywhere he goes, they're holding him. It's very old men. One time there was fire, he started to run and he picked both of them up and he started to run. <laughs> Oh, we thought you're sick, you're weak, we're carrying you around. Now when you picked up both of us and started to run, our person can pick up two people. Take a very strong young guy, 30 years old, muscular. Can he pick up two adults like this and run? What is this, two melons? It's 200 pounds each, 180, whatever. And run, not you make two, three steps and fail. Runs with them. Save them from the fire. The nature changed. Also, there's some animals that mentioned in the Talmud. Nobody finds where they are today in the world. They're distinct. They disappeared. Nature changed. 
pregnant women is different than what they used to be 2,000 years ago. People used to get married age 13, 14. Women, women age 13 already had kids. Today you take a 13 years old kid, what did she do? She play in a neighborhood with her friends, with a rope. <laughs> I can be a mother, this little girl. <laughs> There's nothing she can do. She doesn't even know how to, how to make omelet, egg omelet. Nothing. They ask her cut melon, she doesn't know. Do change the sheets, do laundry, do something, uh, change the diaper. She doesn't know anything. It's a little baby. Same thing, people. F 14 years old was already a master of the house. Running, taking care, business, market, donkeys, horses, camels, going, doing business, fighting. In, all of a sudden, take a 14 years old kid today. What does he know? Only as yes, he listened to a little music in his Walkman, right? Cartoons he watch. He likes cartoon, age 14. Cartoon. Ah, please let me watch cartoon. That's all he cares. He can be a father, this guy. He can go to the market to make business, to take care of uh, 20 donkeys, five camels, 10 horses, take them, take care of the baby. The horse gave birth, 14 years old. What do you, what do you know how to take care of? It's little kids, the nature changed. That's confuse some people today when they read certain things in the Talmud. <laughs> How can it be? See, there's a mistake in the Talmud. What do you think, the Chachamim were blind? They were speaking about things describing a life that it used to happen every day in their life. The fact that it's not here today doesn't mean they were wrong. They didn't make it up. They're describing to you what's happening in the neighborhood, what's happening to the nation. That took place. How do you know when they published the Talmud, if these stories were never happened, the nation would never accept it as the major book of halacha in Judaism. If one rabbi writes a book today about the Jewish law, and 90% of the book is story that never happened, the buildings came up in the air and they started to fly. One building got up from Manhattan and landed in Japan. And I know it didn't happen. If I read this in a book, would I follow this book as my major halacha book? How would I do such a thing? The people of the place, they know what stories happen, what not. If one of these stories in the Talmud never happened, that's a, this is a lie. They, they write things that is not real. Today, even when a rabbi writes the real things, there's thousands who criticize everything. Oh, it's not like this, it should be like this. <laughs> Criticism is very common. Imagine if he writes a fairy tale. Nobody would, uh, right after two minutes, his book will, put on a, will be put on a ban. Nobody would ever take it. So don't, make ever conf don't get confused. Like when they say pregnancy up to 12 months. Today, that doesn't happen. Today, nine, nine and a half months, women give her birth. But up to, in their time, it could be even up to 12 months. Yeah, the nature, the nature is changing. Also, the Gemara says that uh, if the woman gets married before she's 20, her chances to give birth is up to 60. Why? Because the system is active from a young age. It helps to keep it, to keep it healthy until a, la a late age. But if she gets married after 20, she can give birth up to 40 in average, up to 40. 
Today, since most girls really get married after 20, you see around 40 years old, that's it. We cannot give birth anymore. 40, 42, after that you don't hear anymore that they continue to give birth. And uh, this is, uh, and by the way, you should also know that some guys that never got married, let's say they reach 40, 45, and they're looking for a girl to get married, and sometimes there's a girl 38, 39, 38 is an age that you can, she, she can still have kids, but her chances to have kids is much, much lower since she never got married and she never became pregnant ever. The longer she waited with the system, the chance that there's something in her system of giving birth is now working. You should know that. But for instance, if she's a divorced woman, she gave birth when she was 19, and now, I don't know, 15, 20 years, she's not married. 20 years, she didn't give birth, but she gave already birth once, then it's not such a, not, not such a risk. You understand? So you should know that. Okay, now the Gemara continues. Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, Lo ayu yamim tovim l'Yisrael ketu be'av echeyom ha'kippurim. There's two special days in the Jewish calendar. One, two be'av, the 15 days of Av. Recently we had it. There's a list of things that the Gemara gives, what used to happen, soon we review it. And Yom HaKippurim, we are uh, very close to Yom Kippurim, 38 days to Yom Kippur. Before you realize it will be over. We're very close to Yom HaKippur. Now Yom HaKippurim, everybody understands why it's holy, why it's special. It's a great bargain day. You go to the trial, the judge is willing to erase almost everything if you make the proper repentance. But why Tu Be'av is in the same level like Yom HaKippurim? You're talking about Yom Kippur and Tu Be'av in the same sentence? What's the connection? This is a one day, and this is a day from the Torah of repentance. What was so special about uh, Tu Be'av? One thing, the daughters of Jerusalem wear white outfits that they borrow, and all of them dress the same, and they go to a special place, and the guys come to choose wives. What is it? Single party. You know, Rabbi, we want you to come. We have a single party. Singles come to speak. Most single parties are not kosher. They do things that are not supposed to. You can make a kosher one. You have to know the, the halacha. So, so what happened here? So they go to a place and the guys come and choose a girl. They want to choose, this is for me, this is for me. You don't know who is rich, who is poor, because all of them wearing uniform. One of the reasons they made uniforms in school, that you won't be able to tell between a rich girl and a, and a poor girl, and okay, everyone looks the same. That it won't be different classes in school. The rich ones, it doesn't help, obviously, because the girls right away see who is in my class and who is not. And slowly, slowly, some girls become, and the other ones is there. We see it all the time. But uh, over here, a person has no way to know who the girl is. Everyone dresses the same. Don't know you're rich. Now you're wearing a $2,000 outfit or a $20 outfit. You don't know. So that's already a good start, which means you, know, you shouldn't look at the outside and the material status. You should look who the person is. Then the, the reason is not to embarrass girls who didn't have, couldn't afford. Look at the life they had in those days that a poor girl in those days couldn't afford to have a normal outfit to go on a date. Today, any poor girl, at least one outfit she has for Shabbos, no? So she wear it on a date, no? She wear it again and again and again, but still it's presentable. 
But in those days, there was a situation where girls who could not afford to dress anything respect, respectable. Then the Gemara says, Yom HaKippurim, we understand it's a day of forgiveness. It's a day that Hashem gave the second commandment. Should know, the second commandment is not in, a, in the same commandment like the first one. The first commandment is created by Hashem 100%. The second commandment, Hashem sent Moshe Rabbeinu after 80 days up in the mountain. First 40 days, he gave him the first commandment. Then he came down, he saw the golden calf, he broke it. That was the divine one, which means 100% Hashem made. Made in heaven. You understand? Hashem made everything. He made the boards and he wrote the letters. And just Moshe brought it. After Moshe broke it, the second commandment, Hashem said to Moshe, go down and prepare yourself the boards, you know, from a very special stone, I think ruby, I don't know how to say it in English, but very, very precious, and bring it up to the mountain. And then Hashem wrote the commandments, but the boards were prepared by Moshe. So now it's a mixture of God and human, the second commandment. Also, in the in a first commandment, if a person learned Torah in those days, whatever he learned, that's it, he never forget. What you learn, you learn, that's it, there's no forge forgetting. After he broke the commandment, now it's very common to forget. You learn, yeah, forget. You learn again, you forget, yes. What about uh, when we hear a topic, and we never learned it, but we think we already heard it somewhere, isn't that something? If you, hear, if you think you heard it somewhere, you probably heard it somewhere. Now, sometimes you heard it, it went into your subconscious. You were here and someone was talking about it. You didn't pay attention, but it's recorded in your storage. So when you hear it, it comes out. You don't remember where, but you heard it. What about the first 40 days when Hashem is teaching you, you know, when you're in, you know, in the womb? No, what's the question? Isn't when, when a mother is pregnant? No, the angel makes, uh, makes, the, makes him forget. He makes him forget. Otherwise, he would remember. But the angel makes him forget. Here, that's a proof that the angel forced him to forget. But if there's no interference, you, f you remember everything. After the commandments were broken, Chazal say, people started to forget. Which means what I'm trying to say here, when Hashem gives you something and you messed up and then he takes it away from you, even if you will agree in the future to return something to you, it won't be like the first one. Because remember, yeah, you can forgive your sin, but still, the impression of the sin is there. You see, oh, because of the sin, look what happened. And even though Hashem gave it back, it's not the same. For instance, you had a good job, and you started to fool around and to make sins, and Hashem made you get fired. And then you make tshuva, and you cry, and you're there, and you got another job. It won't be as good as the first. Less siyata dishmaya. Less siyata dishmaya. Even if it will be good, there's less blessing, more aggravation over there. Something it will be as... Why? Because when Hashem gives it back, still, even though you accept your tshuva, but remember the, se the second commandment. Why? It's not going to be the same one. They made tshuva. Moshe pray, Hashem told him, I forgive. I forgive them. If you forgive, give the same one. No. Now you prepare it. It's not gonna, it's never going to be the same. We should know that. Then the Gemara says, What else happened in Tu Be'av? Amar Rabbi Yehuda, Amar Shmuel, Yom Shutru Shvatim Lavo Ze Baze. 
There, there was a decree that the tribes cannot marry each other, which means Bukharian, only Bukharian, Kafkazi, only Kafkazi, Polish, Polish, German, German, Yemenite, Persian, everyone by themselves, nothing else. Twelve different tribes, only in the tribe. Why? Not because of racism like today. Today it's because people are wicked or ignorant, one of the two. If they're ignorant, what do they know? If they're wicked, they don't want their son to marry somebody because they think we are the best. But in the old days, it wasn't for that. What was the reason? They needed to share the land to tribes. Each tribe received X amount of land. How do we know how much to give each tribe based on their size? And they asked the question in a question of the Kohen Gadol, right? The Kohen Gadol, you know, for instance, they share the land. Which tribe will get what piece? The Hoshen, the 12 stones were lighting. And they're getting the answer. If, uh, if the tribe of Dan is, is flashing, oh, you're getting this. You understand what is it? Like, like now, I take United States. I divided it to 12 different equal sections. But some sections are better, like closer to the water, better land to grow. Uh, like agriculture, all kinds of things like this. And some places is desert. Nobody wants to be there. 120 degrees. I'm going to Arizona. I asked them, what's the weather? They told me 115, 118. I said, well, where did I get myself into? <laughs> it's 50 degrees Celsius. 50 degrees Celsius. What's going on? You put an egg. Outside in the street, in a pot, you come back 20 minutes later, it's an omelet. That's, that's what it means. And <laughs> like to add oil to the fire, the woman told me, uh, you sit in a car with full air condition and you boil. <laughs> Imagine the heat. And there are righteous people who walk half an hour to come to shul on Shabbat in this weather. And the Mexicans, the Goim, work 12 hours on the highway making roads. You know, 12 hours in 100 and almost 20 degrees, like this, Psh, very, very strong. Mucha cerveza, called cerveza, and they're very strong. 12 hours, you put me 20 minutes over there. <laughs> Ambulance, atzala. <laughs> 12 hours they work every day like this outside. Anyway, so uh, the Gemara say, okay, so they finally, after everyone said, what, what happened? If a woman, she belongs to this tribe, she go and marry a guy, whatever she owns, go to him. So pieces, she inherit her father. Let's say, let's say the father died and there was no sons in the family. Who inherit the father territory? The, the girl, because there's no sons. Now she went and married someone, the territory from this tribe is transferred to a different tribe. So what's the point? You're mixing up everything. But to Be'av, it was finally after they settle, everything is fine. No more. They say, okay, now everyone can mix. It's Baruch Hashem, one nation, one tribe. Everyone can marry everyone. It doesn't matter. One other thing happened. The tribe of Binyamin got permission to return back to the nation of Israel. Why? They put them in a harem. They put a band on them. After the incidents of Pilegesh Bagiva, there was a Pilegesh. How do you say Pilegesh in English? Plague. Plague? 
Prelegish, it's a second wife, not officially legal. Like, like a, a mistress is not the right word, but you got the idea. By saying mistress, you got the idea. But it's a legal mistress, which means your wife knows that you have another wife. When you go to Japan for six months, you have a Japanese Jew there, and she's your geisha, your wife, whatever you want to call it, pilegesh. You understand? So now, the idea is here that there was one man, and he had a pilegesh, and he went with her to a place by Shevet Binyamin, and the very bad people came and started beating her up and attacking her until they killed her. And then he went to all the Bateidinim to make just justice. He couldn't find, he said, this is the, this is the way, what, how can it be? And everyone got furious. Why did they do it to this woman? What's going on here? So they, they made a decree, no one is allowed to marry them. They were isolated for a long time, and then in two Be'av, they forgive their sin. They went, they accept them back. Everyone was happy because, after all, it's Shevet Binyamin, it's the tribe of Binyamin. So, okay, then the Gemara says, this is the day that the Metei Mitpar stopped dying. When Hashem cursed the nation that they won't enter the Holy Land. So they had to die. It's millions of people, all of them has to die now. In a period of 40 years. So some were old, they died. But what about the young one, 25, 30? Well, is he going to die? Yeah, he has to die. How they die? Every day on Tisha B'Av, every year on Tisha B'Av, they used to prepare a grave. They dig a grave and they go inside, they put a special cover around them, like a dead body, and they lay in a grave. And they sleep in a grave that night. Why? Many of them don't get up in the morning. They go to sleep in the morning, oh, he's, he's dead, and they come and they cover them. You understand? That's how it was. Every year on Tisha B'Av, thousands of thousands of people die. That's why they're already laying in a grave to save time. Everyone has his grave ready because they know they're not going to enter the land. And that was a, that's a horrible day, Tisha B'Av, and they dying, 1,000, 10,000, 50,000, they dead. All of a sudden, one year, Tisha B'Av, everyone lay in a grave. In the morning, not even one body. So maybe we made a mistake with the calculation of the moon. It was done manually. It's not calendar like today. You always wait to witnesses come. They say, we saw the renewal of the moon, and they declare Rosh Chodesh. So they thought, maybe we made a mistake. Maybe officially it's not Tisha B'Av today. Maybe it's tomorrow. Everyone will sleep tomorrow also in a grave. The, ne the next morning, again, nobody died. So like this, so from Tisha B'Av, every day the rabbis told them, everybody has to sleep in a grave because it's something to do with our counting. Cannot be that nobody die. Every year many dies, and this year nobody dies. So then... Next day, next day, like this for a week, from Tisha B'Av until Tu B'Av. Tu B'Av is the 15th of Av, from 9 to, from, from uh, to 15. When they saw for one week nobody dies, they realized that that's it, the curse is over, the decree is over, and they made a big party. So that's another reason why Tu B'Av is a great day. Why? Metemit Bar, Hashem cleaned all the people who were supposed to die in a desert because of the few sins that they made. And Hashem said, none of you will enter the land. Remember, only two entered the land, Yoshua ben Nun and Kalev ben Yefune. And all the other ones died in the desert. That's one of the reasons Hashem took them in circles for four years until all of them will finish to die. Because from Egypt to Israel, it's 11 days walking. 
11 days. It's like walking from here to upstate New York. How long it's gonna take? 11 days. If you need 40 years to get from here to Buffalo, 40 years, even an old person walks like this. He made another step, one minute rest. Another step, then he sleep an hour. Another step, it still won't be 40 years. When, when the GPS doesn't work, so yeah, go around the block 20 times. But over there, Arjem was their GPS and directing them in circles, going here, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, to all kinds of areas there in the desert, not going directly to Israel. In the beginning, Hashem didn't want to take them through Eretz Plishtim. The Philistines, not Palestinians. Palestinians is an Arab invention. There's no nation like this. A hundred years ago, nobody knew what Palestinian is. They don't have a country, they don't have a plague, they don't have an anthem, they don't have history books, nothing. It's just Arabs who started to call themselves Palestinian, and all of a sudden they say that they are a nation and they own the land. The biggest trick, in the, the lousiest and the dirtiest trick in our modern history, that a group of people that came from many different countries all of a sudden decided that they are the owner of the land of God. They want it for themselves. They kill, they murder, and they claim that they were, it belongs to them. It never belongs to them because they're never a nation. And even they themselves admit that they don't, they show, show history of Palestine, show one history book from more than 100 years ago that they were a Palestinian nation, that they ever had a country, that they ever had a land, nothing. And they called themselves Palestinians after the name of Palestine, which was a complete different nation, nothing to do with Arabs. Palestinians were not Arabs, they're not Ishmael, it's a different nation. In the time of Samson, Plishtim. The Laila and Christians, nothing to do with them. But the Philistines were sitting in, uh, in Gaza between Egypt to Israel. And Hashem didn't want the nation of Israel coming out of a war, entering right away into another war with these cruel Philistines. So he took them around. But even going around, so it should take 20 days, 50 days, definitely not 40 years. Why 40 years? Until everyone finished to die. And every year, thousands were dying. Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, and until it stopped. So this is too bad. Then, then, one other thing, Oshea ben Ela canceled the decree of Yerovam ben Nevat. There was a wicked king, his name Yerovam ben Nevat, who has no share to the world to come. Now if you think it's wicked like Haman or Paro, or all these uh, Hitler, all these wicked people, change your opinion right away. Why? He knew Torah more than anybody you imagine. Every subject in the Torah, I could give you 127 different lectures completely about this subject. Just when you think you know everything, okay, now let's give you another whole movie about it. Oh, and again, and again. Complete brilliant chacham. What destroyed him is what destroyed each one of us. What is it? Pride, ego. That's destroyed him. That was his end. Why? He was the king in Israel. And Rehavam, from the family of King David, was in Jerusalem. Because remember, there was Judah in Israel at that time. Israel was split. Separation. So Rehavam is in Jerusalem, in Bet HaMikdash. He's the king in Bet HaMikdash. So when there is the three festivals, 
everyone goes now to celebrate in Yerushalayim. There's only one king who sits there. One king. No permission to two kings to sit. So one seat, one stand with everyone. Who sit? Rechavam sit. And Yerovam will have to stand. You know? So he knew that everyone will know, oh, they're going to say Rechavam is the real king, not me. I'm secondary, because I have to stand and he sits on a chair like a king. So he said, no one has to go to Yerushalayim anymore for the holidays. He put two big statues, and he said, we'll do Aliyat Laregel, do you bring your sacrifices to these statues? Believe it or not, just for his ego. And then Hashem came to him for the merit of the Torah he learned most of his life, and he told him, Chazor Becha, make tshuva, make repentance, and you and I, and King David, will have, will chat together in heaven. We walk together in heaven. Netayel will have a nice trip together in heaven. So he asked Hashem, who's first? Me Barosh, who's higher there? Me or King David? He told him King David. So I'm not interested. That's the story of this man. And has no share to the world to come. So that day too, Be'av, there was a righteous person, Hoshea ben Ela. Wasn't the most righteous in the world, but he did an act of righteousness. He dismissed those statues. Because remember, he puts police. Nobody can climb to Yerushalayim. They close the place and the holidays. Even the people want to go to Bet Amigdash, doesn't let them. Torah says everyone must go. He changed everyone to come to one place. Then, uh, all the bodies of the people who murdered by the Romans in Betar, the city Betar, they got finally permission to bury them after three years that their bodies were laying up. The goyim that occupied all the place, they took the bodies and they made fences around their houses with the bodies. One body on top of the other, and they make fence around their property. How can you make fence with bodies? After a day, it smells like the worst thing you can imagine. That's the miracle here. Three years, the bodies are on the street and they did not smell. And after that, after that, they gave permission to bury them, and they finally started to bury them, which took them years to bury all the people. Some say hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions. It was a very big city, biggest city, full of people. There were rivers of blood over there, rivers of blood on the floor floating, all over. So they got permission to bury them. So a lot of good things happened in that blessed day, to Be'av. That's why the Gemara name it as one of the best days of the year, Tu Be'av. And on that day, we don't do vidui. We don't make a confession in a prayer. Not in the morning, not in Mincha. We don't do Chatati Aviti and Tu Be'av. Even the Mincha before, before sunset, the day before, which is the 14th of Av, we already don't do it, because it's like going into Yom Tov. When you go into Yom Tov, you don't do it. Then. At that day, they made the bracha atov ve'ametiv. Atov ve'ametiv, l'akol, u'ametiv lanu, yetiv lanu, malanu, gomlenu, this bracha that we say. Ametiv, that they did not smell. Atov, that they did not smell. Ve'ametiv, that they were, they finally got permission to bury them. Two miracles, one that they didn't smell. I have a question here. Even though, obviously, it's a miracle that they did not smell, I think it would be better off that they would smell. 
if that smell, the goyim, wouldn't be able to take it. Remember, they live there, they go to the market, they buy, they walk around, the soldiers. It would be horrible smell, they say, quickly bury them. No, so what's the answer? If it would smell, the goyim would make a huge hole, huge, big hole, and throw all of them in one pile, the rabbis, the shomer shaves, not shomer, men, women, everyone on top of the other, and cover them. You never know where your grandfather and your father, you never know. Now they got permission, so everyone went and took his relatives and buried them in a place that they have a grave. Every person who loses a relative, it comforted him that at least he has a grave to go. I once spoke in one of my lectures that there are people in Israel that their kids dying in a war, 18, 19, 20, 21, soldiers. And since the day they died, 20, 30, 40 years ago in the wars, Every day they go to the cemetery from morning to night and sit there for 20, 30, 40 years straight. They do nothing. All their life they go in the morning, all day they sit by the grave. It's like a symptom. It's not one or two, it's hundreds of parents. Hundreds of parents. They, all they do is sit by the graves and cry and talk to the grave. And they already made like a comedy. They all know each other. And they all, they all know in 10 o'clock this Mr. This will show up. This, this is what they do. 40 years, 30 years, these parents suffer so much because they are ignorant people. They only knew a little Torah. They knew that now you're sitting and crying for this boy 30 years. It could be that he was reincarnated in a body, he lives like a king, he could be the prime minister by now. He is a king and you're sitting here by the stone and crying for nothing. You understand the idea? When you don't know, you make the wrong choices. Now, the, the Gemara brings a story. As a person, his kids are what we call today off the derech. They're not so religious anymore. They're crooked. Once he went to make a will and he wrote a third of his money, he was a wealthy person, a third of what he has will go to Yonatan ben Uziel, the Tana Yonatan ben Uziel, that when he was learning, the birds were burning. Buried in Amuka, next to Tzfat, on the way, next to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, there's a grave there, down the valley, Amuka. All the single guys and girls believe that when they go there, it's gula to get married. Thousands of people go there every month from all over Israel and the world to pray for finding your right soulmate. That's called Yonatan ben Uziel. Why? He never got married. He wanted to learn Torah all his life. So Sgula, he gave his life, personal life for it, Sgula to get married by him. So uh, he gave a third to this chief rabbi, a third of his property. A third he sold, he got cash for it, let me enjoy it before I die, not leaving it to the children. And a third he dedicated to Bet HaMikdash. When I die, this all belongs to you, holy. The cows, the horses, whatever he had, this is holy. That's it, I cannot use it, not mine anymore. Neder, like you say in a shul, a thousand dollars, or I donate Sefer Torah, that's it. You say that you gotta do it. It's neder. Okay, so one third went to Yonatan ben Uziel, one third to Bet HaMikdash, one third for his stomach. You know, okay. What happened now?
when he died, Yonatan ben Uziel took the fur that he gave him and gave it to his sons. You're talking a lot of money here. Not like today, 100 million, 500 million, but a lot of money. He took the money, he kept it, and once he died, okay, now it's mine. I can do whatever I want with that. I give it to his children as a gift. So, Shammai, we have Bet Shammai, Bet Hillel. Shammai came with a stick and bang and says, why did you do that? You go against the wish of the deceased person. If he wanted, he would give it to his children. He wanted to punish them, to teach them a lesson. So he told him, if you can take in a bedding what I sold, you can get it, take it. What I gave, take it. What do you want from me? Like, it's too late now. I gave it already. He said to him, so Shammai got angry at him. Shammai got angry. Why did he do it? Because he wanted the, the kids to hate their father less, not to hate him, to go all their life with hating their father. Every second of their life is a sin. And he didn't want to enjoy something that the eyes of other people is on it. I know people like this today. If you give them something and they know the eye of somebody else was on it, they don't want it. So you go give it to him. Anyway, I won't have blessing in it. You know, they understand, they write. So what happened? Now the Gemara is speaking about Shammai and Hillel a little bit. Tanura Banan, 80 students Hillel had. There was two chief rabbis, Shammai and Hillel. Hillel has 80 students. 30 of them deserve to have the Holy Spirit on them like Moshe Rabbeinu had in his level of holiness. 30 of the 80. 30 of them deserve to make a decree that the sun pause, the earth and the sun pause, like Yoshua Benun. Yoshua Benun made the earth and sun pause in a war because they needed light. Soon it's going to get dark. It's not like today you have flashlight, infrared. If you have darkness, you lose the war. It's a problem. You don't know the area. So he paused, he, of course, with Hashem's help, but he had the power, Yoshua Benun. So 30 of them were in this level that if they ask Hashem to do it in the time of a war, he would take the word. 20 of them are mediocre. <laughs> mediocre, a million like us together don't reach one of them, just that you understand. But mediocre compared to the other 60. The greatest one out of all the 80 was this one, Yonatan ben Uziel, that took the money and gave it. And the smallest one is Yohanan ben Zakai, which means in a level. Now, Yohanan ben Zakai was the president of Israel in the time of the destruction of the Second Temple. Here is a description of who he was. Listen good, the smallest out of the 80, the smallest. He never, he, there's not one thing in a written Torah that he didn't know by heart. All the Mishnah, all the Mishnayot that we have, Shisha Sidre Mishnah, they used to have much more Mishnayos in his time. Rabbi Yudah Nasi shortened it to six because there's a lot that repeats itself. He gathered it, minimum six. Less than that, he already damaging the Torah structure, right? Six, but he knew everything by heart. Then Gemara. 
all the halacha, all the comments on the Mishnah, everything. Halachot, all the laws. Hagadot, all the midrashim, all the secrets. Dikduke Torah, all the insides of the Torah. Dikduke Sofrim, all the decrees, the laws, the insides of the Rabbanan, the secrets of all the decrees. Gzerot Shavot, there are 400, uh, wow, that's a hard word in English. Gzerah Shavah means when there's a mutual word in two verses in a Torah, the word appears here and appears there, that means there's a link between this verse to that verse. You learn the laws of this, this verse to the other law. Vice versa, you can learn from one to each other. Secrets, there's a lot of secrets in the way the Torah is written. He knew all of them, all the, all the 400. He knew all the seasons, seasons, which mean astronomy, uh, leap year, not leap year, everything in advance, like to be able to write a calendar. All the gematrias, all the numeric values of the secrets of the Torah. All the meshalim, the parables, all kinds of interesting secrets, parables that they had in their time. Meshalot kofsim, meshalot shualim, the language of the demons, how demons communicate one with the other, the language of the trees. He knew if he goes to the field, what one tree speaks to his friend. It's too hot today. The wind yesterday broke me. Oh, I'm so tired. 24 hours to try to hold myself not to collapse. That happened a few days ago. The tree suffered a lot. How do you know the tree speaks to themselves? How do you know? One time I gave a lecture and I spoke about this Gemara and a scientist from the audience came to me. He said to me, you know, it's very interesting what you just said. I'm really surprised. It's true that the trees communicate with each other. And how do you know it scientifically? If you go to an orchard, or anything, that when there's a lot of trees, the trees always expand, right? They start small, they become wider and wider, and the branches are growing, and they go one into the territory of the other. You never find one branch from a tree one colliding with a branch from a tree number two. They're always gonna, it's almost to collide, one will move to the right, one move to the left. There's never an accident. If they're like robots, they grow randomly, for sure, you would see three touch each other. No, he goes left, he goes right. But if you put a, a living tree next to a siding of the house, which is also wood, wood and wood, the tree goes into the siding and make damage. Because it's a dead tree. You cannot tell him, no, no, go to the right, go to the left. You're about to break me. Move. Cannot talk, he's dead. Very interesting. You know the language? of the angels, the language of the trees, Maaseh Merkava, the carriage of God. This is all uh, analogies. We don't know the secrets. Only few in the history knew the Maaseh Merkava. Avayot de Abaye de Rava. We have no idea what it is. It's all the secrets of Abaye and Rava had like the whole Torah. Is the smallest out of all of them. And who was the greatest? Yonatan ben Uziel, that when he was learning Torah, every bird who flies above him falls it's like electrocuted. Hop. Automatic shish kebab, you don't have to worry. You learn, a bird fell. It's kosher, not kosher, kosher can eat. No problem. You got the point here? 
So AD and the smallest one, Yonatan ben Uziel. Maaseh b'Rabban ben Gamliel. Rabban ben Gamliel was the president. Ashkimuli shiv'a la'aliyah. He said, prepare to me seven tomorrow morning. I need them in a bedin. In a, we have, a, we have a, a trial. I want seven chachamim, seven scholars. In the morning he came and he saw in a bedin eight of them sitting. I asked for seven to come and eight showed up. Now one of them came with no permission. So he said, the one who came without permission, please leave. So Shmuel Akatan, there was one rabbi, his name was Shmuel, they call him Akatan. He was small, his body small, Shmuel big, Shmuel small. So the little Shmuel, he said, I came up with no permission. But I did, why, why did they need it to go? It wasn't a trial of a person. They have to gather together in a court because they have to make a decision if it's going to be a leap year or not. They have to make a decision if this year will be Adar Aleph, Adar Bet, only one Adar. So they need to know, it's a lot to know, you know, the calculation and everything. So he said, I didn't come to make a leap here or not. But I came to learn from you that in the future, if one day I'm going to be one of the judges, I'll know I have experience how you look at a case like this. So I didn't push myself, I want to be a judge. I just came to here. I'm sitting here to here. So he told him, sit, my son, sit. All the years we ever decided that they should be leap, you are the one who is worthy of making this decision, which means it was the greatest out of all the other. So the Gemara says, why did he get up? Why did he say, I'm the one who came without permission? He was invited. He was one of the crew there. Not to embarrass the one who came without permission. I'll take the insult to save my friend from being embarrassed. And who did he learn it from? Rabbi Yehuda Anasi gave a lecture in his yeshiva. And one of the people over there ate garlic. And when you eat, when you eat garlic, the people around you for 48 hours have to suffer just because you want to be healthy. Or your grandfather told you, drink vodka, eat raw garlic every morning, six o'clock, you live to 500 years old. He <laughs> believed this nonsense. So everybody now has to suffer. Now, if you work in a field, you're a farmer, no, so the cows have to smell you. But if you learn in yeshiva and your friend is sitting one feet away from your mouth, it's like a dead sentence. You know, every second of your life is a sin. Every person who smells you and gets disgusted, first is Chilul Hashem. If it's secular or egoi, then they hate the religion. Why? So look at the religious people, how stink they are. Not only they sweat with all their clothes, now they eat this garlic. I, st I stood in the bus, you know how many thousands of times I heard it? Why? Either he doesn't brush his teeth or whatever the case is. Sometimes people fast. Monday and Thursday. There are people who like to fast for their sin. It's not only he, he ate last night or yesterday gar or garlic, today he got up in the morning, he didn't brush his teeth. Wow, so there's a combination of a dead rat and a dead uh, snake together. 
So Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, imagine the rabbi, the chief rabbi of Israel who wrote the Mishnah. Think about it. Couldn't continue his shiur from the Bet Smel, who came from the mouth of one of the learners. So he asked, someone who ate garlic, please leave. Rabbi Chia got up and left. Everybody got up with him and left the shiur. The whole shiur got cancelled. You teach Torah now. The most important person in the world, the Gemara say, was worthy of being the Mashiach. He comes from the family of King David. If Mashiach would come in his generation, the Gemara say, for sure it would be him. Nobody deserved it more than him. This is Rabbi Udana Si. He couldn't smell the garlic. And he asked them to leave, and everyone got up. But only one ate garlic. So why did they do it? One tried to protect the other. They don't want one person to be embarrassed in front of the rabbi or in front of the group. The next day, Rabbi Shimon, the, rabbi, the son of Rabbi, Rabbi Shimon, met Rabbi Chia on the street. He told him, you're the one who made my father very upset yesterday. He told him, God forbid, something like this will never happen in the nation of Israel. I never touched garlic. It wasn't me. <laughs> But I did it because the one who did, I didn't want him to be embarrassed. And how Rabbi Chia learned that this is the right thing to do? How did he learn? One thing, one more comment before I tell you where he learned from. We have a question to ask about Rabbi Udanasi. When Rabbi Udan said, saw that everyone got up, let's say you had, I don't know, 20 people in your class, 10 people, 8 people, 5, whatever. You ask one to leave, which means you want to teach him a lesson. Tomorrow, don't eat garlic. Don't eat garlic. And everyone got up and they leave. What should you have done? Tell him, okay, okay, forget about it. Come back, let's finish the shiur. But you see from here, it's better that the entire group in the yeshiva will miss the learning of Torah, which Torah, you know, I don't have to tell you how many hundreds of sources we have that limut Torah keneged kulam, learning of Torah, it's like all the mitzvot together on a scale. Torah here, everything else there, Torah is higher. It's better to cancel, I don't know, an hour, five hours, we don't know how long that shiur was, which could be thousands of mitzvot, that a person will, not, will learn the lesson not to do Chilul Hashem, to walk with the mouth stink like this. If we're already talking about it, now it's the time to push more things about this thing. Person has to make sure his clothes is always clean, always clean, not dirty, don't have stain. You have stain, go and replace right away your shirt. Don't walk in the street with shirt. What is this oil? It's, it's peel, I ate falafel this morning and all day he walks with a stain. Person has to wash his hair every day. Don't walk with greasy hair like this. Or people smell you. You don't, you don't smell yourself. You have danger if they come, they fall on your, on your, on your jacket. You don't pay attention because you're not an aesthetic person. You don't care about being clean or not. You take a shower once every, every 50 years in the Yovel, when you hear the shofar of the Yovel. <laughs> but if you hate to take a shower, you still must do it because the Torah command you to. Same thing you have to do, put filin in the summertime, you must take a shower. Once, twice, three times a day. Where we learn it from? Hillel. Hillel was poor. It was very difficult to make a bath. In the winter time, you have to bring trees. 
to, to light fire. In the middle of the day of yeshiva, he take a break, he goes take a shower and come. His students follow him. Where is the rabbi running in the middle of the day? What mitzvah is busy with? Rabbi, why you left the yeshiva and you came home? He said, I prepared myself a bath and I took a bath. That's the mitzvah, I said, of course. Son of God will smell, will be stink. So a person has to take shower. Make sure his hair is always clean and wash and smell good. His clothes is not sweaty. If he sweat and he, and he leaves the sweat on him, then he becomes very smelly and many people are mama suffering being around him. Make sure he brushes his teeth morning and evening. Make sure if you have problems with your gums, some people have problems with their gums and it smells horrible, take care of it. Put mint, do all kinds of uh, mouthwash, whatever. Make sure people don't suffer from the way you are. You know, if your car is, looks like a zoo, make sure you clean it. Sometimes you give right to people and they're not religious and they look at you and you, you represent Hashem. You have to understand, it's not what you want, it's what Hashem wants. You represent Hashem. When you eat, you have to eat with your mouth closed. You don't talk while you're eating. You don't clean your nose when you're sitting with people in a table. In the middle of the meal, like this, like an elephant, like the shofar of Eliyahu Anavi. If you don't know it's him, you think, oh, oh, Baruch Hashem, the Mashiach is here. Look, somebody blowing the shofar. Sometimes in the middle of the shul, he does it. Everyone is praying. You hear again and again, 50 times, and then he leaves it on the table. And then in the end, he leaves the shul, and he leaves it for the gabai, a 60-year-old man, to come and pick it up. This is a Jew. This is a rasha. This is not a Jew. But he's not doing it on purpose. So now it's time to wake him up. If you have friends that you think that they deserve to hear it, send them an anonymous, anonymous letter, Talmud series number such and such, or you cut these five minutes from the lecture and send it anonymously. You understand to this person? Yes. Because you don't tell your friends that he's like this, and he smells, and he has all kinds of things. Same thing you suffer around him, thousands of other people suffer around him. You understand? And remember, the people, not everyone has patience. They begin to talk. You're going to stand by, by Smith or by Vinny or Tony in the bus with his beard and yamaka. What do you think this guy is going to do? He goes, so I stood in a train by this dirty Jew. Oh, I smell like a dead body. And then he, she tells her friend and this and that. And half a million goyim making fun because of one stupid Jew that everyone now look like dirty people. Not that the going don't have dirty people. They also have a lot of dirty people who never take a shower. But we are not going to be busy with saying gossip about them if they smell or not. That's not what's on our mind. But something about Jews, it's always a delish, delicatesse to make a party of it. Oh, did you hear what happened? That, that Jew never took a shower for two months. You understand what's going on here? So this is it. So. How did he learn that he has to get up in the middle of the Torah lecture? We'll finish with that. It says like this. One woman came to the yeshiva of Rabbi Meir, and she said, Rabbi, one of your students got married to me by having relation with me. One way to marry a woman, if she agrees, is to have relation with her. That's from the Torah. The rabbis does not permit it. But from the Torah, if she wants to become your wife, this is one way. Instead of putting a ring on her, you, you make her your wife by actually moving in together. Which means, according to some opinions, every boyfriend and girlfriend who did it with no permission because they're not married 
they, the woman may need a get from him because maybe she became his wife. Because in the time of the Torah, that's how people used to get married. Not used to, but it, it was possible to get married like this. So now she showed up. She said, you know, I, can, I don't remember who he was. Maybe in the morning when he saw how I look, he changed his mind and he ran away. She came to look for the guy. Hey, what do you mean? You married me and you ran away? Where is he? I know he's learning here. She's looking for him now. So Revi says, okay, the one who married her, right, by being together with her, please write her a get and give it to her. So, Ahmad Rabbi Meir, Rabbi Meir Baal Anes got up and he wrote a get to her. It wasn't the one, Bakhlan. But he wanted to save the guy who did it because there was a big embarrassment. Everybody in the yeshiva started to write a get. 300 gets now they're preparing for her. Here, madam. Here, here, here. One of them is an authentic get. The rest is toilet paper. She doesn't need it. One, it's official permission to go get married. Doesn't matter which one. Any one of them, as soon as she grabbed it, she's a divorced woman. So she grabbed that. It wasn't the one. She's still married. This, 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 this. She finished with all of them. Okay, now I know I'm permitted to get married. Right? It's like two twins. She doesn't know which one married her. They, they both say, no, it was me. No, it was me. He's lying. It was me. They're playing games now. She doesn't know. What's, what do you do in that case? The bedding will force both of them to give her a get. If it's him, she divorced. If it's him, it's one of them for sure it was, right? That's it. Everybody got up. And when Rabbi Meir learned from, from Shmuel Akatan. That Shmuel said, I can because I want to learn how you make a leap here. So Shmei, Rabbi Meir, the, the legendary Rav, learned from Shmuel and uh, Rabbi Chia, which was after the time of, uh, of Rabbi Meir, he learned from Rabbi Meir. So we have Shmuel, Rabbi Meir, and Rabbi Chia. That's the beauty here. You have a rabbi to look up to, to learn from him how to behave. So from here you see how important it is not to embarrass the person. Chazal says it's better to throw yourself into the furnace and get burned than to embarrass a person in public. It's halakha. It's not a beautiful speech. Some things you can say in a speech when, when a person comes saying, tell me what to do. It's not what you tell him. The law is the law. Hypothetically speaking, you push more things in a lecture. Not every word in a lecture is the official law. Just to make people think. But over here, it's really halakha. If you have to embarrass your friend in front of, uh, I don't know, 50 people there, or to, or to get killed, you have to get killed and not do such a thing. Shofech damim, en lo chelek, amalbin pnei chavero varabim, en lo chelek laolam haba. Someone who embarrasses his friend in public, in front of people, has no share to the world to come. It's considered like a murderer. The blood cells of the face of that person explode and he becomes red. That's why a person becomes red when he's embarrassed. Right? Nobody becomes red right, when he's eating his steak in lunch. There's no reason to be red now. Well, a person walking the street, you don't see all of a sudden he's red and sweating. When it's happened to him, when they put something on television about him and he see, <laughs> wow, they found out. Right away, it's like a tomato. Why? It's an embarrassment. His blood cells explode from the pressure. And the last thing from today, Tanur Abanan, Kshemetu Nevi'im Achronim, when the last prophets died in a, in a Knesset, 
in the Knesset of 2,000, 2,100 years ago, there were 120 holy people. Some of them were prophets. They were the last prophets of the Knesset Agdola. That's it. The last prophets in history were in a time of the Knesset Agdola. Not like today, 120, which half of them are clowns. The other half is Arab terrorists. And maybe few of them are decent. That's different Knesset today than the ones we had. So the, the, the Gemara says like this, who are the last prophets that we had? Haggai, Zechariah, Zachary, Umalachi, Malachi, Malachi. That's it. The vision disappeared from the nation of Israel. This Talkar Ruach which means, yeah, people have uh, inspiration, people have moments that they see things, but official prophecy from Hashem that Hashem is telling you go and do and say, tell them, don't tell them, whatever, is gone. So the last one, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, no more prophets. Afal Piken, but there was an echo. What does it mean, echo? Some people and the generations after Haggai, Malachi, and Zechariah, they heard echo from heaven. Echo, for instance, Oy laim labriot al elbona shel Torah. Oy to the Jewish people for embarrassing my Torah. Not everybody heard it. One out of 10,000 that was there, he hears it in his ear. Why is it that Hashem is complaining that the Torah is in the closets and the people don't want to learn? They're only busy doing all kinds of things. College, this, I want to be this, I want to do that, I want to be a salesman. All he cares is about money and his future. But coming to learn Torah, ah, it's not so urgent, Rabbi. He wants to take care of his next 30 years, but to take care of his next 30 billion years is not so important. So, what happened? They're using bat call, echo. One time they were sitting in the attic of a house in Jericho. You understand? This is before the Palestinians stole it. Now Jericho is by their hands. Here, this is more than 2,000 years ago. The Jews were living in Jericho. And they heard an echo. There is one among you. They all learned Torah in the attic. There's one among you who deserves to be blessed like Moshe Rabbeinu, like Moses. But the generation has no merit for it. That's why he doesn't get this blessing from Hashem to be like Moshe. Everyone looked at Hillel. Who? Probably you. We're not in your level. When Hillel passed away, everybody understood who, who the bat called, the echo is referring to. When Hillel died, everyone screamed, oh, Hasid. Hasid means you're more righteous than the necessary requirements. The Torah says A, B, C, you do A plus. B, B plus. C, always more than what Hashem wants. More. Not enough. I'll do more. That's called a Hasid. Extremely righteous. Anav, humbled. You're the only one who humbled like Moshe. None of us is humbled like you. Talmido shel Ezra. Your Torah came from Ezra, Sofer, Ezra. One time they were sitting in an attic in Yavne. It's another city in Israel. And they heard the bat call, echo. There's one here that deserves to have Shechina, the spirit of Hashem on him, but the generation does not deserve it. Same announcement. 
Everyone look at Shmuel Akatan, little Shmuel. The one who say, no, I'm not a judge. I only came to learn. It was the greatest one. And he said, ah, no. The extra one who came, please leave. No, no, I just came to learn. You know, that's the difference between the Chachamim then and today. Today, right away, they say, hey, you, you, why you came? You know you don't belong here, leave. <laughs> but the biggest Chacham said, no, no, I came to learn. No. Hey, when he died, they said, hey, Hasid, extra righteous. Hey, Anav, humble, Talmido shel Hillel. So he was Ezra, Hillel was like his rabbi. And Shmuel Akatan learned by Hillel. So they all inherit something from the rabbi that they all, that there's an announcement from heaven about them. Even if a person inherit a Sefer Torah from his father. His father died, he gave him the Sefer Torah. He owned the Sefer Torah, $30,000, he gave it to him. It's a mitzvah to write one of his own, because one of the 613 mitzvot is for every Jew to own a Sefer Torah, to write for himself. Since people are so ignorant in our days, they don't know how to write. So one out of a thousand know how to write. So they nominate someone by giving him money to write for me. You are my messenger for the mitzvah. It's the same thing. Same thing making Brit Milah. Every Jew has to do Brit Milah to his own son, not to call him Moel. Moel, it's because we are ignorant. We don't know how to do it, or we don't have the guts to do it. So we call a specialist. Come, here, take money, do it. But I was supposed to do it, not the Moel. And I am supposed to write my tefillin and mezuzot and sefer Torah, not a sofer. And I am supposed to slaughter my animal, not to buy it from the shochet. A, a, a Talmid Chacham knows everything. Everything he knows. He knows to write. He knows to be, to be shochet. He knows to do brit milah. He knows to blow shofar. Everything they know in those days. What do you think? Like today, you come to the shul. Anyone knows how to read? 300 people. Baruch Hashem, there's one. Ooh. We're lucky, he knows how to lane. You know, on Monday and Thursday, sometimes nobody to read. 300 people, one knows how to read in a Torah, because there's no dots, no nekudot. But, but, if you cannot afford, especially when there's more urgent mitzvot, such as making other Jews religious, with the same amount of money it will take you to write Sefer Torah, you can make a thousand Jews religious. It's much higher mitzvah. So you can give few dollars and participate in a Sefer Torah that they write. Once in your life is good. You understand? Uh, to own a Sefer Torah, it's not so simple, because you cannot store it in your house. You need a separate room for that. And if that room is holy, you cannot do whatever you want there. So most people who own Sefer Torah, they park it by the shul. I might as well use it. What am I going to do? Put it in my bedroom? It has to be in a shul. They put it in a shul. And that's one of the, of the mitzvot. Okay, next week, I'll give you a preview of next week. Uh, uh, we're talking about King David, a lot of interesting things. Okay, it's going to be a very interesting shiur next week. Again, 8.30. Baruch Adonai Lo'olam. Amen ve'amen.